This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The sun has risen. You are awake. This symmetry is not without meaning. Good morning, Night Vale. Good morning. Hello, my name is Meg, which comes from the name Margaret, although that is not my given name, but it is derivative of that. And Margaret is Gaelic. It means pearl. Hi, and I'm Symphony which means orchestral composition, which I am. And my name is Hal, and like half of all names, it means king. And this is Good Morning Night Vale, the show where we talk about Night Vale, because we're on Night Vale, and you listen to Night Vale. So we're all listening to Night Vale, and then we're going to talk about Night Vale. So get ready. And this episode is 24, The Mayor. The episode description is, The Mayor Has Gone Missing, plus... Night Vale Community Theater presents Once on This Island, the return of the children's fun fact science corner, and an update on the Apache tracker. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about <laughs> it. I think there's, yeah, we have a commanding cold open. I think it's, we're really starting to see the development of the actor Cecil playing the role of Cecil. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know how this works now. And this is, yeah, the, he takes a commanding start from the cold open. Yes, I agree. Um, I I have noticed in the last few episodes, especially, uh, Cecil has really come into his own. uh, And I think, you know, after, so at this point, they had been doing the show for what, like nine months? Almost a year at this point. Almost a year, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a hefty amount of time to be playing one character. So you're starting to get an idea of it. But straight from the beginning, we find out that Pamela Winchell has gone missing. And as soon as I heard they were going to talk about Trish Hidge was coming up, I literally wrote this bitch. I'm like, this bitch. Because <laughs> like we've all said, everybody's so terrible at their job. You know, and yes. especially I imagine working for Pamela Winchell as the mayor must be crazy, <laughs> to say the least, with all the uh, press conferences that she calls and like, if she's doing this stuff in front of the cameras and all this stuff, what must she be like back behind the scenes? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but but uh, Trish goes ahead and is like, oh, I have all the powers of the, the mayor. And I thought it wasn't going to happen for her. I thought she was going to be like, just sneak off somewhere. But yeah. she made it happen. She became invisible. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard whatever was watching, you know. <laughs> yeah. The pea shy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Get a little pee shy with your with your mayoral peril powers. I think this is a hilarious definition of mayoral powers. Where it's yes. like, you're the mayor. You can marry people, you can close a street, and you can also disappear in a puff of smoke. 
<laughs> and by the way, this ends with the same uh, that the sheriff of secret police is just listening to all your phones all the time. Yeah, which is true. And it's just something we accept about Night Vale, though, you know, that someone's watching or listening to you at all times. So, I mean, yes. I guess you would, if you were living in that sort of 1984 sort of dystopia, you'd just be used to it, no? Yeah, I mean, we all seem pretty used to it. I bet that the NSA is in this Google Hangout right now. I can't <laughs> wait to hear their, their headcanon in the next fan zone we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like to look as cool and surprising as possible on my camera. I see you, NSA. I wonder if Google logs these video hangouts. For all the listeners out there, we we when we record the show, the three of us are in a Google Hangout together, so we're in a video chat together. Um, and I wonder if Google logs them. Well, honestly, it's it, it might be our language that uh, gets us flagged, but all they're going to see is a bunch of like me looking at myself in the camera. Yeah, <laughs> or like the one day where someone commits a murder and it's behind us in one of the shots. Or it's like the last, this is my last known footage. I somehow get kidnapped on my way from here up to the bedroom after the show. And this oh, is shit. the last anyone ever sees of me. Yeah. I uh, Bigfoot's been crossing behind me for the past 15 minutes, but I can't imagine anybody <laughs> would be interested in that. I thought that was the Loch Ness Monster. I guess she's she's put on some weight. She's thick. <laughs> yeah, four C's. Uh, I love the the community theater. Yes. Their production of Once on this Island. There was the auditions. Yes. Oh, uh, the beginning was it like the two or three episodes in? We had the auditions, and now like they finally they've mounted the production after months of rehearsal. But it's a uh, like nobody can go right. Like it's secret. Oh, the the location of the cast. So you have to just like figure out and try and like find it. Also, I love that Cecil considers himself. Uh, aficionado of theater. Now, Cecil Baldwin, the person, of course, is an aficionado of theater. But what do you think that means to Cecil? That he's seen theater once? Well, he was in plays. He mentions that he was yeah. in Pippin. Or no, he was Pippin. He was Pippin in South Pacific. Which yeah. is a super racist <laughs> musical. Yeah. Um, I did Pippin, just straight up Pippin. It wasn't, it wasn't set in South Pacific, which I think... It's interesting. Did, has anyone has anyone done South Pacific or Pippin or Once on Silent? No, I don't really do a lot of musicals, uh, but I've seen two of those. I just I yeah I've seen I used to, I've seen South Pacific on like AMC. I've watched a lot of classic uh, musicals like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Oh my! I just watched that recently. Oklahoma. That's fucked up that movie. It's totally fucked up. It's totally fucked up. I was like, how is this a thing? (laughs) I get how it was a thing, how they made it. But then I'm like, how how are they still putting this on television? They're not like, it's a hostage film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They steal them to the mountains and like, they're like, well, you you have to be my wife because you're going to be stuck here until spring. Yeah, it's like (laughs) Stockholm Syndrome, the musical. Yeah. I like that one song. I'm into redheads, so you're mine. (laughs) Um... Is Once on this Island the one with Mama Will Provide? Is that one of the musical numbers on that show? If so, I have seen it. If not, it was another musical that also had Island in the title. I, I, don't, remember. I don't remember. I saw Once on this Island once. Me I saw too. Kevin R. Free. He was excellent. Oh, I'm that sure he was. That man is a talent. He's a sheer talent. Yeah. And he's got a beautiful voice. 
Singing voice. I mean, regular voice too, but singing voice for sure. Uh, I, yeah. I, I want to go back for a second. Oh. Does it talk about how you can uh, – the curtain is at 8 o'clock and those seeking autographs of cast members after the show should ask themselves why signatures are valuable and uh-huh. what that particular kind of transaction even means. This is – this episode came out in the summer of 2013. This is when the show exploded. It was this around this time, right? No, it was before. It was still before at this point that it, yeah, that there was – that it had exploded. But we're close. We're very close to it. Yeah, it's it's about to be like yeah. This is June first in July. Um, July was when we saw the like big explosion of this. Right. So it's interesting that this came out a month before this explosion, the the Beatlemania moment of of Night Vale, and now people do want autographs, right? Of ev- everybody and anybody who is in the show, and we're happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this is yeah, this was written before any of us had ever signed an autograph for Welcome to Night Vale, which, given how many we've signed at this point, it seems mm-hmm. kind of bonkers. Yeah, it just it's interesting to feel like when you're on the other side of it, and you can still have that feeling. You can feel like I don't understand what the value is, but still be happy to sign stuff too. Like there's no, mm-hmm. like I like uh, I like some signed stuff. I have a signed. Um, yeah, what do you have signed? What's something that you have signed that you value? I have a whole lot of sports, like signed sports stuff, like baseballs. Oh. I have a napkin signed by some of the Philadelphia Flyers when I ran into them at a at a uh, comedy club, and I have a signed pamphlet gritty. from Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I wish I had Gritty's autograph. Please don't remind me. <laughs> let's let's see. Hey, listeners out there, if, can we put it together? Anyone, if we can get the Gritty autograph for Hal, just uh, let us know. He's a true fan. If you could get me a picture with Gritty, like I want to meet Gritty. I'll get the autograph. Ooh. I want the autograph, but I want it in person. I want to meet Gritty. Like full-on meet and greet, not coming down a line. I want like personal time with Gritty. If anybody can make <laughs> that happen, I'll really uh, appreciate it. But I have hanging on my wall here in Los Angeles a poster from the last regular Thrilling Adventure Hour show. and We all signed it. So I have it. It's signed by pretty much the entire cast and a bunch of guests that we had. And I'm on there too just because – I signed a bunch, and then there were there were some left over yeah. that I grabbed. Uh, but that means a lot to me because it it reminds me of a particular experience I had. And I get like, I love signing stuff. I I'm happy to go out if I come out after a show, and I'm there, and you are there, and you have a pen. You don't even have to ask me if I would mind signing something. Yeah, right. I'm, I will either. actively go over and start writing on it before you have the chance to say anything. <laughs> Yeah, if I don't have a box in my hand, I will. If, once I put the box down, I will sign it. Yeah, the box, and then you'll take the box away. <laughs> and I'll take the box. Away. It's the box of merchandise. Usually, like when people fans run into me, it's like when I'm like unloading merchandise at the end of the night. Right. And I'm like trying to haul like ten boxes out and get them into the back of our van, and like I'm like just you know. And then people are like, "Hey," I'm like, "Hey, how's it going?" Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll sign whatever. Just let me put this box down. Yeah, <laughs> but it is a weird thing. Yeah, I love it. Um, I actually do have a couple of uh, – actually, the only signed things I feel like I have in my apartment are Night Vale posters from you guys. And I'm just like – but that I, – I love that. You know, I, I like remembering that – similar to you, Hal, I like remembering that a thing that me and my friends did. You know, it's just as much as taking a picture. Um, but I used to have a signed photo – 
and I think I'd still do somewhere, of Mark Ruffalo, uh, because my mom works in construction, and his dad, it was one of their um, contractors. So I got a signed uh, Mark Ruffalo photo. Um, and Personalized? Yes, it was personalized. Nice. Because um, my mom was like, she wants to be an actor. I'm like, I am an actor. But <laughs> it's fine. And then, and then I uh, I went to – I was at a bar once, and the guy who played Ogre in the Nerds movies oh, yeah. was, like, signing photos. And, like, some person at the bar was like, you want to come over and get a signed photo? And I'm like, no. And they were like, just come over. And I was like, okay. So I did, and I got a photo. It was great. He was nice. <laughs> it was in a bar. It was so random. All of my assigned stuff is like such theater nerd stuff. I have uh, the playbill for the original cast of Hairspray. I have that signed on my wall. Mm. Um, so that's cute. Um, and I have uh, an autographed, my Angels in America script is autographed by Tony Kushner. Well, um, you do love Angels was- in America. I love Angels in America, and I was very drunk when I met him, and oh. he signed my my, my script because <laughs> I was in, like in the meet and greet line for him, and they were serving wine, and it was like a two hour long line. So by the time I got to him, I was probably like a bottle deep, and I was like Tony Kushner. Do you even do you even know Tony Kushner? You can't even sign it. It's so good. Just sign it. Um, so that's that happened, and then I have I have Gilda Radner's autograph. Oh um, wow. Yeah, which, I mean, I didn't meet her because I was a child when she died. But for my 18th birthday, my best friend got me, um, eBayed an autograph of her, um, of a program that she had signed for Lunch Hour, which is a play that she did with Sam Waterston. Wow, that's awesome. Oh, really cool. And so, yeah, it means something to me. And so that's kind of something I think about with our signatures, where it's like we sign so many things and like it, they don't, they, they're meaningful to people in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I hope that they'll be meaningful to people in the future. I think like when Gilda Radner signed that program for some guy, you know, in the, the early 80s, she wasn't thinking about me, but it's really nice that I have it. I'm glad that we all talked about like what, why this is important to us. Cause like, yeah, examining the, the like what it means to you, but like, it does mean so. It can mean something to you, right? It's not completely meaningless. Just getting someone's for sure autograph, um, and it can remind you of a time that you had. So that's always really nice. Um, so <clears throat> Josie saw supposedly saw Pamela Winchell, Josie and the and the angel, maybe not angel, maybe an angel. Maybe not Josie's friend, but an angel um, was talking to the um, the Apache tracker, but it doesn't seem like they were having a good conversation. It was like a, and then it turns into the whole thing that the Apache tracker was in the car with the potentially the man with the tan jacket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're something's they're, afoot. They're feeding us some more plot pieces about. The, they're giving us more puzzle pieces for things that are going to come into play with the mm-hmm. the the miniature town that's under right. lane five. Um, oh, just punched my microphone. Yeah, that's that's how you can tell there's plot development happening. <laughs> Punch your microphone. Yeah, 
Um, can we talk about the brown spire? The brown stone spire. Yes. First of all, all the sound stuff that they did with that was awesome. You know, having the, the like every time you said the brownstone spire, like it did that special effect. Wait, uh, hey, Vin, can you get it to do brownstone spire? <laughs> every time we say it. Um, as long as you're adding it to stuff, Vin, will you also add it to like this? I, I like, like fruity, fruity pebbles. pebbles. <laughs> I think that's uh, totally cool thing to do just yeah. add sound effects it's really disorienting and it kept going in and out like at parts and it was like disorienting what were you gonna say meg sorry i wanted i wanted my thing to be, get spire eyes oh do it do it i'm good at horses <laughs> is that what we call it being spireized it is now that's good it actually makes me think of a vegetable spiralizer or whatever <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They make the yes. noodles. To make zoodles, yeah, which is a, it's an offensive word for me as an Italian American. Having zucchini noodles. <laughs> zoodles. Don't say that to me. Oh wait, spiralize this. That's, That's offensive. offensive. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, um, but then it it's brought to you by Wendy's, which you guys. I love Wendy's. We've talked it's, about this. Yeah, it ranks high if we're ranking the fast food chains. Yeah, it's up there it's for sure. It's one of my top ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, baked potato, can't beat it. Frosty in a chili cup. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, frosty and fries sometimes. Oof. Sure. Yeah, of course. And yeah. they have, like, a great dollar menu. Like, yeah, solid. Get a junior get a bacon meal. cheeseburger. Yeah. Get a JBC. Yeah. Five-piece nugget. I mean, you get junior bacon cheese, do what you want, live your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Wendy. When Roy Rogers went away and now only exists on the turnpike in uh, PA and New Jersey in a couple places, mm-hmm. Wendy's was like the, Wendy's was there for me. It was yeah, really it was there the, for me. the salve to your, to your burn. Yeah. As an excuse to leave color guard practice early sometimes, we'd be like, our friend, she's not well, like she's in a bad way, we have to go be with her. Uh, it's our friend Wendy, and she's sick, and she needs us. She needs money, and she she can't be alone right now. And so we would go and leave color guard practice to go to Wendy. That's what you would teach you tell your coach. Yeah, we'd be like our friend Wendy. She's not good, and like I, I'm worried about her life, and <laughs> she needs us to go to her right now. Oh, you're a bad kid, Mike Bashwood. <laughs> yeah, color guard state champion. Like <laughs> they worked us too hard. Sometimes you had to, you you had to let sneak loose. away. Yeah. You got to go smoke cigarettes in the Wendy's parking lot. And girls will be girls, chi- you know. Eat chicken nuggets. Oh, well, you'd go to Wendy's a lot. We'd like go drink on the golf course and then we'd go to Wendy's. And then, uh, <laughs> and then it's a specific type of suburban upbringing where you get drunk on a golf course yeah. um, in, in the night. Um, and then we'd go to Wendy's. We would do it driving around the uh, the back roads in uh, just <laughs> Wisconsin because uh, we'd be like smoking pot in the back of my friend's car, like as we we're like driving around Wisconsin because there was nothing out there. 
Um, and now I live on the roads where kids smoke pot and drink. See? Like, I live on those back roads. Like, I go for my runs, and I just see, like, booze thrown into the woods and, like, packets of, like, crushed packets of Dutch Masters and stuff. I'm like, oh, you got, I live on the weed road. <laughs> Do you shake your fists at the, at the passersby? I don't, I'm asleep by the time they're out there. <laughs> you crazy kids. Those youths out there smoking weed. Drinking, drinking plastic bottles of booze and then throwing it into the woods. <laughs> Why do kids litter? I don't do, know. Do you think kids litter now? I remember I, I used to litter don't. as a kid. I I did. I used to litter. Yeah. Any kids out there, you shouldn't litter. Littering is bad. And it's bad for the environment. And it's just bad for the animals that are going by. And it's rude. And I will follow you in my car. Yeah. So I've fear done the wrath of symphony. But yeah, don't litter. Like I didn't like I didn't think about it and now I think about it a lot and yeah. I try to to reduce my my carbon footprint yeah. and my waste, but it also makes <laughs> me mad because it's usually pretty easy to throw something away. Like yeah. <clears throat> especially if you're in your car like I've literally seen people throw full thing like a like a thing of soda from a like a McDonald's out the window. And did it land at your feet and then a single tear ran down your face? <laughs> but I actually have like 6% Native American heritage, according to 23andMe, unlike the damn Apache tracker. What a jerk. Yeah. Uh, the Apache tracker who, yeah, yeah, he's in this episode and there's weird, weird crap going on. By the way. Again, uh, Cecil comes to defense of the power structure by talking about all the good things that Mayor Pamela Winchell has done. Yeah, and they're not good. No, they're not. No. Anyone who wants cancer can get cancer. The reading children the children's classic like Murakami's The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle and any of the Cormac McCarthy novels. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not children's books. She jails and tortures people without just cause or due process. Yeah. But she loves the town. Though, so, and like they said, it's a, I mean, she's probably better than the other, even though the other mayors have been like assassinated or executed or whatever. So, you know, she got out of that at least. Yeah, it's true. She didn't, she wasn't run out of town on a rail or became the skeleton that, that teaches children about oh, anatomy. Yes. So. <laughs> I was thinking the other day, I was like, that's, they don't use a real skeleton. It's like plastic, like mold bones um, for that. But like I, my friend, I was walking around a cemetery because I was doing a cemetery tour. Um, I was not conducting it. I was participating in it. And uh, <laughs> we, were t- we were talking about how like dying and stuff like that. And my one friend said that they wanted to be, give their body to science. And I was like, but you're all on display. Like, I'm down with, like, donating all my, like, eyes and heart and lungs and tissue and stuff like that. But, like, then, like, there's, like, lots of people that go through dissecting your body, looking at your body, rolling your body over and stuff. I'm just like, I know you're dead and it doesn't matter. But I just want to be, you know, I, my wishes. Yes, your wishes have been made clear. I wouldn't. I, I think I could. I could be a medical school cadaver or like a something that they do, do you think experiments you could? on. Yeah, I think that's great. Like if people like want to learn something from from you, and if they can, you, you something that they learn can help someone else. 
you know, especially like after you get super old, if you do die old, they don't want your organs anymore. Like you're, no one wants the heart right. of a 90 year old woman. Um, but, but I'm not making can, it to know. 90 baby. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, but. and they're not going to want my liver, but the rest of me is pumping strong. But what could someone learn from your liver? You know, what could we be taught? Uh, maybe the, some pills could be made from it so that you could too could have a killer night out. <laughs> it make you strong. It make you strong and hearty, just like me. Get high off the contents of your liver. <laughs> just like eat it with some with some onions and a nice Chianti. I want to be donated to science, but I want to be part of Bodies in Motion. Yes. Where, but like, I want to be the body who's just sitting on a bench somewhere relaxing. <laughs> Because I think people, we don't really get to see what the body looks like when it's in full repose. And I'm happy to provide that in death so that others may learn and live better. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be part of the, I guess you don't really get to super pick where your body goes when you donate it to science. But I wouldn't want to be part of the body farm, which is that place in Tennessee oh, yeah. where they just let your body rot and they like conduct different rotting. It makes a lot, I mean, they do learn a lot of stuff about decomposition there and about that they're able to get, learn more about times of death and, and things like that for, for forensic science. But I learned about that from Bones, the, oh, the, the show Bones. Yeah. The body farm. Yeah. That's pretty, Ugh. I mean- but that's pretty neat. It's messed up, though, because you're going to be left to be a goo or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're like, what is it like if a body is left under a tarp under, like, 90% humidity? It's going to be gross. <laughs> it's going to be gross. But, like, yeah. some weird things happen in certain situations. Like, a body could look, like, mummified or, like, whatever. Or, like, decomposition could be, like, faster. That type of stuff. Uh, fascinates me, which is why I used to want to be a mortician. Yeah. For Ooh. sure. Not just because of my goth soul. <laughs> I think you'd be good at it. Yeah, sure. Well, that's my next career. That's my uh, my pivot career. <laughs> Your pivot career. <laughs> I sometimes, yeah, I don't know if I could, I could handle being around people who are grieving all the time. Um, I don't know if I have the disposition. I, no, I'd want to just do the work. I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to be like a, a funeral director. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I want to be the person who does like the makeup or like the – I'd be down with doing the embalming. Although I'd probably be creeped out the whole time. Yeah. But you get used to it. People eat sandwiches yeah. over that stuff all the time. Ew. There was a while where I wanted to be a medical examiner. Yeah. It was like a, a phase where I wanted to do that. And then you I were know. like, ew, gross. And then I was like, well, what about theater? You know, you could just play make pretend. You could play make pretend and then no one respects you and that's a career. I respect you. I do too. Yes, because you're a fellow theater maker. That's right. That's, that's all you get. That's all right. Our approval is empty. You're the only people that matter to me. Oh, good. Let's talk about Dana. Oh, Dana's alive, y'all. Yes. You guys, I am so excited that the, I mean, I knew this was going to happen, but like Cecil getting excited about like how he has a scoop was just like so awesome. And the fact that Dana was the one who gave him the the scoop on what she actually said cuz nobody could hear her cuz she was so far away. Right. Is pretty amazing. And uh that she's step like what big news that she's stepping down by the end of the year. 
So that just built like a huge plot point for us into what does the what potential elections could look like in Night Vale. And right. we get to that uh, later on in the series. But uh, so exciting. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Great to hear that Dana's alive. Yeah. Um, and that. And that Cecil's she's... phone or whatever goes crazy. Computer. Well, he uh, yeah. his thumbs start to burn and blacken and he starts bleeding right. as he texts back. So he can't. He had to stop. So you can only right. contact. We know that if somebody's in the dog park that you're not meant to contact them. And if you do contact them, you have a very limited window before uh, something really bad happens. I mean, who knows what would have happened had he continued to message her. Yeah. And then he says, time is weird, so is space. I hope ours match again someday. I love that sentiment. Yeah. It's so true. I think about that a lot of times because we, we get to know and meet so many different interesting people around the world. And then we have these really intense, great times together. And then we go back to our, our homes. And I always think, like, I hope that we, you know, our, our, the stars align for us to get to hang out again. I, I cannot agree with that more. I, there are so many amazing people that we've met. And I wish I could put them all in my pocket. Um, and carry them with me every day. And that's why I love social media, because then you get to keep up with what's going on with people. And what, while you may not speak to them on a day-to-day basis, um, you get to see what's going on in their life. And uh, they get to chime in on what's going on in yours. Yeah, it is kind of nice that like someone you haven't seen in 10 years, you're like, oh, they got a new haircut. Yeah. Oh, and they had a baby. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like. It looks like they have a nice thing going on or yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's it is nice that we do we have that level of connectivity to each other. Yeah, the the people in your life form sort of a solar system around you and you, you don't know how fast they're going to revolve, but it, they're all ovular paths, so sometimes they're intensely close to you, sometimes they're far away and then they come back and you know, others are in a real tight sort of circle all the time, but it's it's funny how life works that way. That you have people who are intensely important to your life, and then you get a lot of distance from one another. You may still have closeness with them, but you know, just the period of your life in which they were super important that doesn't come back. Yeah, because you both grow as people, and then others, you right. know, others that doesn't change. It's just the, those dynamics always sort of fascinate me. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. Is yeah. what it is. Yes, but it is. I mean, but it's like we have we have these bombs for it, where we have the memories, and that's you know, and the experiences, and the fact that you know we still can connect to each other while we're not in the same place in the same time anymore. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah. I do feel like though that it's lovely to be able to like to have those friends that when you do connect, even no matter how long it's been, that you still feel like it was yesterday, you yeah. know, and you're not, you don't feel that distance. Yeah. And you do, I mean, you do, you're like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long, but you can just pick right up where you left off. And um, that's what friendship is all about, guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's one more thing in this episode that I wanted to talk about, which is like the last paragraph that the, in the past couple episodes they really they've really been landing and ending these episodes on like hard hard not hard notes but like really strong beautiful 
bows being tied yeah. to the end of episodes. Like this one, the last paragraph is, but as you watch the sun rise against tomorrow morning, think to yourself, past performance is not a predictor of future results. And then force a smile, drink another cup of coffee, and try not to look down as you walk across the soil that will eventually fill your lifeless lungs and repurpose your corpse. Each day is is a blessing, Night Vale. Yeah, I definitely underlined that part because it was so beautiful and um, words that I, especially the part about the, like, don't look down as you walk across the soil that will eventually fill your your lungs. Mm-hmm. I was just like, so true. Because, like, one day we will all return to nothingness, right? Uh, return yeah. to this earth, return to the cosmos. Well, you'll be shot into the sun. <laughs> or you'll be shot into the sun, which will also return you to the cosmos. Yes. You'll be just, like, spewed out amongst the whole solar system and it makes me feel so big and small at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're again going to be a part of everything, but also your consciousness is back to nothingness or it's back to everything. Deep thoughts. Deep Deep thoughts. thoughts. Uh, And I love the, uh, the joke that ends it all is really great. Uh, which is the NPR radio show, Wait, Wait, Don't, No, Don't, Please Don't. <laughs> Please Don't, yeah. Yeah, which um, it was a game, uh, yeah, after this like this came out, the first time I hosted a book event for Joseph and Jeffrey, I made us a game uh, that we played, and that was called Wait, Wait, Don't, No, No, Please Don't, where it was like a um, a Jeopardy-style game that the two of them played with uh, with some audience members at book events. So the, <laughs> the game, Wait, Wait, Don't, No, No, Please Don't, now exists. Um, and it's a, a prototype version, but you can, you can play. Oh, I'm excited. I want to play. I really want to yeah. play. <laughs> There's different categories, lots of different categories and, uh, prizes. Fantastic. Up next, we have a conversation with the voice of Pamela Winchell, Desiree Birch. But first, a conversation about this episode's weather, Biblical Violence by Hella. Wow, you guys. The time signature on this song is crazy bonkers nutso and i also want to watch this guy play the drums or whoever play the drums because there's a you must have eight limbs it's is it an octopus did you look up look it up the people i did look up the people it's not an octopus but they they're of the genre which i didn't know existed until today called math rock math rock math rock um, math rock is like a form of, uh, in, of indie rock that is, uh, they just have complex atypical rhythms and yep. time signatures yep. and that's what defines it. Math rock. Boom. So symphony is a journalist and got it. Yep. Yes. <laughs> good job. Good digging out. Yep. Woo. Good, good journalism. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that those, were you a music minor? I, I was a music major. Yeah, so you being a music major, it, it's my inbred. It's my inbred skills. But I, uh, I, I was a music major until my junior year, and then I switched to theater because I was bad at being a music major. I couldn't Great. because I couldn't tell you what time signatures those were. But I was like, that's crazy. That's some like, you know, seven sixteenth shit right now. Like it's crazy. It was like. But it's lovely, and I because it, it would swing back and forth between like that crazy rhythmic play to then they would all come together. It was almost like an interesting, like 
alternative jazz rock music to me. I liked it. Math rock. No. Math rock. Uh, my brain couldn't process it. It is a hard pass <laughs> for me, but uh, I hope other people enjoy it. And it does just because I didn't care for it doesn't devalue it in any way, shape, or form in my eyes, nor should it in yours. Uh, yeah, I just was like, nope, too chaotic, can't deal. But I did, I listened to some of it, and then I didn't listen to the rest of it. I thought that John would probably really like it. Yes. Disparish. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that, like, yeah, I'm psychedelic. Too, I'm too basic for it. I'm too basic. It reminded me of, you know, like when you're in the ocean um, or like when you're like a kid in the ocean, it doesn't really happen so much as an adult. I hope not because I guess we take less chances as adults. But like when you're a kid and you're in the ocean and you just get like completely tumbled by a wave and like you're not sure if you're able to get back up and like it's just like you're under the water and being totally rolled and like there's. Yes. I've never had that experience. I don't go that deep in the ocean. It's terrifying. I just like to put my body partially in it. And then go back out on the sun on the shore and lay there and look kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, that's what it reminded me of, of like kind of being tossed around at a different in different rhythms. I only let you, Meg, carry me around like a baby in the ocean. <laughs> I would if I, if I was in the ocean with you, I'd make sure you'd never get you. That would never happen to you. I'd never get tumbled with you. <laughs> you'd never get tumbled. No, that's not scary though. Um. That, but you said that's never happened as an adult just because you're a strong swimmer or you know the situation not to put yourself in? I'm, my body's a lot bigger, which is helpful. Um, okay. When you're a kid, you're like, you know, you're, you're flotsam. Um, yeah. Or are you? Yeah, you're flotsam at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're not jet, Jetson. Jet, George yeah. Jetson. <laughs> Jetson. Jetson is, Jetson is stuff that – the flotsam is stuff that, like, it naturally occurs in the water. And I guess you would be – Jetson. Jetson is the stuff that's been left there on purpose. Yeah. Stuff that's been jettisoned. Oh. Yes. Yes. Learned something new about nautical business today. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess you are you flotsam or are you jetsam? I don't know. Anyway, um, take this BuzzFeed quiz. Do this BuzzFeed <laughs> quiz. Um, but yeah, it has to happen to me as an adult. I think just because I spend less time in the ocean. When I was a kid, I was like, spent the whole damn summer in the water and like, you know. Which is, yeah, and you're just smaller, so it's less control. Right. I guess it could, could still happen. It sometimes happens to me when I have a body surf now. Maybe it does still happen to me, and I just spend less time in the ocean. I notice it less. Well, I'm glad you're still here and not a part of the ocean. Yes. Eh, wouldn't be so bad. Stay right there. Good Morning Night Vale will return after a brief break. So we wanted to welcome Desiree Birch, who plays Pamela Winchell on this show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on this. This is amazing. It's so, so good to be talking to you both right now. Thank you so much for joining us, Des, all the way from from sunny England. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So sunny right now. It's being so England right now, and it's really irritating because I could deal with the day that wasn't maudlin and like somewhat, you know, <laughs> uh, seasonally, seasonably autumnal and dreary and full of like Halloween-esque dread. I've also been watching a lot of Haunting of Hill House, so I'm constantly creeped yes. out these days. Constantly creeped out. <laughs> 
Um, I also have been watching that program. Joseph and I were watching it together, but now he's away on book tour and I am home alone. So I had to, I had to curtail my watching of it because I can't be alone with it. Yeah. You should not (laughs) be alone. You should not. Um, it's like not, it's even worse than that time that I was in New York and bought a bootleg copy of the ring to watch. And I took it home and it didn't work for the first 20 minutes. So it was creeping me out because I was at home alone. Yeah. And straight up a phone rang and I was like, I'm going to throw this whole house into the sun right now. I can't. I can't right now. That's when you set everything on fire. Yeah, pretty much. Like I, I tend to not go in for things that involve, involve horror or the macabre because it actually like completely rattles my being. Like that's the thing. It's like I actually get scared by ghost stories and all that stuff. So I find that like the whole horror genre, I'm like, that seems cool. I got a dip. And like I let myself get hooked in by this thing and it's completely upended my life. And people keep tweeting me like, freeze frame of everything so you can see all of the secret hidden ghosts in there. I'm like, why would you keep telling me that? I don't want to see the visible ones. Like, don't make (laughs) me see more shit. (laughs) Oh, there's so much stuff in the background of that show. Yeah, it's freaky. Joseph is always like pausing and he's like, do you see that lady back there? Do you see those faces? Do you see those hands? Come on, no! I can't deal with it. It's amazing because I I feel like all of the fans of Welcome to Night Vale love that stuff. And I don't know, maybe they love the feeling of being weirded out. Maybe I do as well. I just have avoided so much of it because I'm just like, I get very empathetic with the main and it just is so creepy and emotionally intense and beautiful and just dark and could happen. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So that actually leads me to my first question. Uh, how did you get involved with Night Vale? Oh, okay. So, um, I got involved with Welcome to Night Vale and like, to my mind, one of the most beautiful ways. Uh, well, it was somewhat a matter of, of convenience and circumstance and a matter of history. Basically, um, y'all were coming over to do shows in the UK. I had recently moved to the UK, probably four months prior. And, uh, and Jeffrey Craner sent me an email like, Hey, would you want to do some of our live shows? You know, like, and you would do the voice of, you know, Mayor Pamela Winchell, and then you would be Mayor Pamela Winchell. And I was like, OMG, that's, yeah, I'm here. And I just moved to a new country in a new city and have no work and no plans. So absolutely. And obviously that all came about because, you know, Jeffrey, uh, as you know, was Meg's part of the, you know, as was Cecil, as was like so many people involved in Welcome to Night Vale, a part of the New York neo-futurists and, you know, um, like, yeah. And, and apparently I was, um, not, uh, mean enough to Joseph in that play that I wrote about him to, uh, you know, dissuade him from including me in his masterwork. <laughs> Wait, what play? I wrote a play about, cause he was so young and I wrote a play about how young people say things to old people that are just like whatever it was a play literally joseph will remember this but it was literally a play about how we're out at a bar and i made a comment about the bartender look looking like um uh what's his face from uh footloose uh the guy who sings the song why is his name escaping me right now because i'm old that's why oh um you know not michael mcdonald but the other doobie brother i know there were kenny loggins thank you very much i mentioned that the guy looked like kenny loggins and then joseph was like who's kenny loggins and i was like 
no. like, Footloose. And he was like, no. and, he, and he literally said something like, at the time, he was like, yeah, I don't know that. I'm 24. And I was just like, it was so, like, I mean, it was so perfectly Joseph, and it was totally fine. But I was just like, mm, I'm 24. I don't know anything you're talking about. So then I wrote this play that went into the show with, like, only the people who are over 30 who were just whinging about how nobody gives a crap about all the stuff that are references and were super nostalgic. And, like, basically everyone over 30 was like, yes. And everyone who was in their 20s was like, F this play. And so, but apparently Joseph did not hate me after writing that um, and decided to keep me around, which I'm very grateful for because he's amazing. And also I feel like, I remember walking with with Joseph and Meg like the night that I was watching you guys fall in love. Like it was really amazing because you guys were walking super fast in a New York way and you were talking about everything after having done some stuff in the box office and after the show and we were going to a bar together. And like I was kind of a a third wheel in this chat and just sort of talking. But then at some point I was just like, there's like major energy happening happening, and I'm just going to (laughs) like hang back and let it happen. And so I feel like... You know, obviously these things happen over a course of time, but I feel like I was there the night you guys started to fall in love and it was amazing to see that. So anyway, just part of the extended family is all. Yeah, it's because of you that we decided to fall in love. We were like, yep. there's this woman who's near yep. us. Yep, and let's, let's feels you like, know what? She needs a show. Like the right place. <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly you'd spend enough time giving all of your extra time to the New York neo-futurists and hanging out at the crane. And that's why. But I literally was just like, I think I just come back into the show. So maybe we've been going on forever, but I was just like, this is happening right now. Do they even know what's happening? Because I'm seeing it and it's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if it was like, if we were actually together, because we were together in secret for a little bit too. Ooh. Um, When we first started, because... Because we both wanted to be in the company and we were afraid that we wouldn't get cast as a couple. So we like just didn't tell anyone and kept it super secret until like six months later. It was like the jig's up. We're together. So you might have been picking up on the fact that we were already. uh, Because I was just like, what is going on? They really hit it off. (laughs) Yeah. It's because we were intimate partners who were in lovers in secret. That's amazing. Oh, I love knowing that. That makes that's like that's like seeing hidden ghosts in the background when you go back and look at it later. (laughs) (laughs) It was our hidden ghost. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Um, yeah, Desiree was a a legendary original New York neo futurist. You were the first first cast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the first one that took, because there was the earlier one that, you know, was around for a little bit. But yeah, first I mean, I'm sitting here talking to uh, you know, foxes here in London about the show who are my age or around my age, the age I was when I started doing the show, who like don't necessarily connect that I'm I'm a, a lot older than I look and that I'm like, oh yeah, like this, this doing the show has completely framed my entire career from the way that I make solo work to the artists that I met doing it who have, you know, created amazing things like Welcome to Night Vale and graciously in, involved me in those things to like just so much. And like, they're like, Oh, like, how is it? Why is New York's company so successful and everything? I was like, cause they've been going for 15 years. Like at the beginning it was hard and it was, and everyone was broke and there was no money and there was lots of woes. Like this happens to every company. We will survive this. You know, it's just interesting seeing such a, a long arc of history cycle back over in, in this new way and still being a part of it in some way it's, it's bonkers. Yeah, Desiree, you're the uh, the founding founding 
director member of the uh, the Degenerate Foxes, who are the uh, the non illusory London sister company yeah. of the neo futurists. And you do a show called the Dirty Thirty. The Dirty Thirty. That's not at all a good accent. I'm sorry, Britain. I haven't learned anything. <laughs> I still either sound like I'm super posh or I'm like, I am and I really ain't I am. So um, <laughs> neither of those is correct. Uh, it's not how people talk. But yes. Um, so yeah, apparently I'm just going to Johnny Appleseeding this thing. <laughs> Evangelizing Appa- the yeah, yeah. like I'm, It's not been my intention, but it's hard to not talk about how amazing the company and the show and the, the you know, the aesthetic are to everyone who will listen to you. So you know, it's an easy sell. Yeah, it really is. And so, yeah, so you are, you perform in, is it, is it Hackney? Where is it? The Rosemary Branch. Where is that? It's in Haggerston, which is kind Haggerston. of like, like the Gooch area around sort of Shoreditch and Dalston. It's all, it's like. It sounds like Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> Is it Hogwarts? It's Toad's Hogwarts. No, it's there's there are no really <laughs> magical castles. It's kind of like I don't know the the commensurate or the sort of uh, counterpart of it in Brooklyn, but it, you know it's like not quite uh, you know like Bushwick or Bed Stuy, you know, or like Williamsburg, but it's like some part in there that like doesn't have a name. It's some like weird little taint region. But anyway, it's there. It's uh, everyone who runs that space is lovely and it's a great pub uh, in Hagerston. So, uh, you yeah, know, Rosemary Branch, look it up. Come find us. We're doing best of in de- yeah. December. It's going to be I like epic. pubs. Yeah. Who doesn't like pubs? Who doesn't like a place where people start drunk and, and drunker? I think that's the only reason people have relationships in this country is because of alcohol. Oh, agreed. It's the only way they talk to each other. It's like how they, the only way they have a feeling that they can express out loud is through, through alcohol in the UK. Yeah. It's yeah, very- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's really like, you don't need that much alcohol. Like they proceed in having the 12 drinks when they only needed two to get there. I don't, I don't get it. But as a, as a prominent drinker, <laughs> I say, I need it. I like it. It tastes good on my lips. It's it's great, but like maybe I should move to England. You should. The bars close at midnight. You don't want to go there. Oh no! <laughs> the, yeah, the bars do close at midnight. But the thing is, everyone starts drinking at like eleven a.m. Like people will have <gasps> drinks at lunch, but like if you go to the airport, if you're flying out, you will see people having beer and wine in the morning. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> Because I was right there and I was like, oh, good. No one's going to judge me here. No, God, uh, no. No one could. Because there's sometimes you'll we'll be in like Texas or something and you can't get beer or a drink before 1030 a.m. And I'm like, don't you tell me when I can yeah. drink. Seriously, not even a Bloody Mary. You still have to wait until 1030. Right. I'm like, I'm an adult. I can. I know when I've had enough sir and or madam <laughs> you're like i've been up since 4 30 in the morning i can it's, it's yeah, lunchtime exactly exactly i mean what kind of freedom are we proposing that we have when we can't even get a drink when we want it like that's that's what i'm saying the line. yeah that's what i'm <laughs> saying need i think it was a sunday to be fair i think it was a sunday so but like still even separation more of church and state yeah. you know what i mean they're drinking wine at church on Sunday. Yep, exactly. That's what they want. They were like, if you want wine, go to church. But like, you have to go to like <laughs> a really good church because they mostly have like Manischewitz or grape juice. And you're like, what? Like my church growing up had grape juice. And I was like, this is not the blood of Christ. Like I was eight and I knew that that and was you- not the blood of Christ <laughs> right away. I was like, this is Welch's, yo. Like, don't even front. <laughs> this is yeah. grand grape. You're not even trying. 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was upset. <laughs> and it, it made my faith waver, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah. It's that's what's what we can start. It was the start of it all was that it wasn't. It's what it makes us non-believers. Yeah. If that yeah. was real wine, I'd be like, oh, I, I believe this. <laughs> it certainly would help. Yeah. It would be a start. It would be a really good start. Um, so yeah, so talking about the neo-futurists, you do a lot of your work, your stand-up, your one-woman shows, they're, uh, they're you, Desiree Birch, not playing a character, but telling yeah. your stories, yeah. um, with sure all incredible and you're a wonderful writer and an amazing performer. And I feel so lucky every time I get to see you do anything. Um, but let's talk about you playing characters, I playing know. the character of Pamela. Yeah. yeah. Like what was it uh, like to kind of hop into the world of character, like being a character? It's, I mean, it's always wonderful anytime I get to do it. And anyone who has the opportunity to play a character, whether it's as an actor, as a clown, or as a whatever the heck it is, you know, can attest to the fact that it allows you to find access and experience a deeper human truth than you can just playing yourself because you kind of have to, you know, frame or accentuate one part of your personality and really explore it as like a basic for finding that character. Um, and Pamela Winchell is such like an amazing, wonderful, rich <laughs> character in some ways. So like simple and two dimensional in that, like she cray, she just going to say what she going to say and then leave in like a green cloud of smoke. But in other ways, it's like trying to think about this, like, you know, she might appear cray to literally everyone else, but she's not to herself. So like, what right. is the reality of that for her, you know, and, and it must be like someone, you know, who experiences like ghost stories, who experiences multiple dimensions of existence at once. And is also, right. you know, uh, so that kind of makes her deeper and more profound. But on top of it, she like in my mind, she's kind of like. I mean, she's not quite Ann Richards because she has like a much deeper, Ann Richards has like a much deeper sense of self, but like she's kind of, in my mind, she's almost like a Southern lady politician who like, you know, wears like a Sunday dress and like brings cakes over and knows everyone in town. And like, there's something that's like, that is simultaneously surface level about her, but like the surface levels of so many different uh, dimensions that it seems like, what is this person? And so right. um, there's there's just a lot of fun in being her. Um, and also just like being able to be funny because I'm just like, I believe all of the crazy stuff that I'm saying. And like, if I lose track about and talk about a dog all of a sudden, like, well, that's because this dog is the most important thing going on in multiple dimensions right now. So <laughs> just listen up, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. Like all of the characters in this world are so rich, but I feel really lucky to have gotten someone that can allow me to just exercise pure whimsy. And, and I think a deep seated, uh, just sort of looniness. Like I, I, like, I think that maybe underneath it all, I've been a batty old lady this whole time and I'm just waiting <laughs> to like come into fruition, you know, when I'm like 65 or something, but like, yeah, there's something about that that is so gratifying. Um, that's awesome. I, it, cause people always ask if at conventions or whatever, if you could play any other character who do play. And I always say Pamela Winchell because she does have those levels and you do that so well, because uh, if you just read the script, you would be like, wait, where is this going? But you like really make moments like, yeah. you know, you make moments and like phrases out of 
what they give you. And that's been like so beautiful to watch. Um, actually, one of my favorite things was when you had to ride out on the scooter. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. And it was a raked stage. And I was just like, I'm going to eat it in front of a thousand people on the scooter, but let's just try not to for the sake of Pamela. Cause it would be deeply embarrassing for her to have that happen. <laughs> um, that was so fun. Cause, cause there was just a kid around who had left a scooter and it was like, yeah. Oh, well that's going into the show. Like, come on now. <laughs> like that's, that's gotta happen. Yeah. And she's such a character that like lives presently in every moment. But like, as soon as the new one comes, the old one's gone. Like, it's like, why are you even talking about that? Like, that's what, what are you even talking about? Like, so there's something about being inside someone who's just constantly in a very, uh, crazy present and who has like no like long-term memory. (laughs) She's just great. She's the bent neck lady. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 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 Even just saying that is, oh my God. Wow. I just, (laughs) we broke Desiree. I am, um, and like, I am a, a, a horror weakling. Okay. Like if you, if you enjoy watching people scream at the TV, throw popcorn and furniture around, I'm the person to watch stuff with. I'm really (laughs) just saying her name. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Breathe. I think that the bent neck lady is like, kind of like the faceless old woman. Like, I feel like they're of the same horror ilk. Yeah. But I was thinking, I was just thinking about the part where, you know, she kept having those, what was driving her crazy was that she was experiencing all these different like times and everything like that, like just chopped in and, and like the mom, the mom was like having that happen too. So it just made me think about that. Like, it's kind of freaky. Yes. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And Please speak no further because I'm uh, not quite to the end of the series yet. So I've seen All what right. you're talking about, but I'm no more spoilers. No, literally because I have to pause it several times per episode just <laughs> to like walk around, freak out and then get back through it. And then there's sometimes where I'm like, I can't watch this right before bed because I close my eyes no. and all I see is stuff from the show. I no, I watch it in the middle of the day. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Like- Right about now would be the time for me to do that. Yeah. So. Although that is that has messed me up too because then I walk around the rest of the day because it gets dark at four thirty here, and so yeah. I'm just like, uh, everything's just weird, and I don't know why I'm scared of like the tube right now. Like, there's no reason <laughs> to be frightened of life, but it it lingers. It's super powerful. Anyway, anyway. So Desiree, um, what do you think has been your favorite experience in playing Pamela Winchell? Like any speeches that come to mind, uh, anything like that, uh, any, uh, experiences on the road? I mean, all the experiences on the road are great. I don't know. Like, I mean, that's like a totally separate thing to like the actual show because all of the traveling around and, and just, yeah, just lovely random memories of being in, you know, random towns in, in identical looking hotels, you know, being like, what room is it today? I don't know. And just (laughs) hobbling out of a van, taking a shower and then putting on a lot of fancy makeup. Um, Yeah. Or when the three of us shut down that bar that night in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody needed to. (laughs) I promised Symphony we weren't going to talk about this. Oh my God. That was a great night though. Great cocktails. And then just later, I just remember you, Meg, being like, 
come on, let's brush teeth because like the level of drunkenness was such that it was like, let's not forget self-care. Okay. Even though we're all like wasted and toe up from the flow up. And we walked home in the pouring rain. That and so we were like totally drenched to the bone. So I was like, yes. He was like, I was dripping with you, Symphony. And I was like, we were, I was like, made you take your makeup off. Yeah. Otherwise, made I you would take your makeup off. And it made you take your jeans off because they were soaking wet. And then you woke up the next morning and you're like, why are my pants off? I'm like, because they were wet. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was such a loving thing to do of like, okay, like drunk emergency. There are certain steps that we have to remember to take. Take off all wet articles of clothing. Put hair into something that won't leave it matted in the morning. Make sure right. that you brush and floss because you will be happier with yourself in the a.m. Like just all those things. It was really lovely. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the, you know, particular, um, speeches and I can't, I wish that, uh, my actor short-term memory were work, working now to recall the specific words. Um, cause there's, there's, um, there's one that I do about like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it's very soulful as, as a lot of Jeffrey and Joseph writing becomes once you get through the, the sort of, um, specifics of his weirdness, it becomes very sort of, uh, connective and soulful. And there's a part about, um, it's very sort of, uh, John played this lovely sort of astral cosmic universe, uh, music behind it where I'm talking about, there's a campfire, um, you know, like beyond the sun, like at the edge of the universe mm. or whatever, and that people are coming together around the campfire. Um, and there's just something beautiful about that image of getting to like, you know, the end of, of the film, the end of the tape, like it runs out, you know, like there's just darkness and then there's just a pinprick of light and then it's overwhelming light and then it's nothing. And at the edge of the, the very last edge of that nothing, there is like a warm campfire that has been waiting there for you and like everyone. And there was, I don't, it was just, I don't know. There's something about that image that I probably added a lot more of my own emotional reality <laughs> to, but that was just, will always stay with me. But I think that's what makes uh, the character so full is when you do have that back story and that at, you're adding all of those things in like what you're experiencing in your, in your heart, in your head yeah. that really make it, um, people connect to it because I, I I think they love I think people love you oh, and they love, I love her people I um <laughs> yeah and I I love her too and I and yeah it's amazing how much we all as individuals uh like augment our realities because that you know I could go back and read that uh passage and be like oh, the thing that I remember isn't even what he said at all, <laughs> which is probably what happened if I, but you know, there's so much that you add on to your inner emotional life that like, hopefully you feel it comes through in the words or even if it doesn't, it's there for you. And that's kind of the gift that the role gives you back. Um, as well as the fact that I've been in, in places where I'm, I'm, you know, doing something completely different to Welcome to Night Vale. And then someone will be like, are you Pamela Winchell just because they heard my voice or something? <sighs> and it's amazing. Yeah. Like I was shooting some random thing in Edinburgh a few years back and they started the recording at like two in the morning and we were supposed to all get drunk and then do all these weird things. And I had to eat like a lamb's brain because that was part of the joke of like, try what? these foods out and see. And like one of them was brains. And like, I was just like, it tastes like clam chowder and looking at <gasps> 
huh. consistency, I presume. It's like a brain of something and I'm being recorded on TV, so I have to eat this thing. Anyway, long story short, one of the extras on the set as we were leaving at six in the morning was like, are you Pamela Blenchel? Like, she was like, I just could just tell from your voice. And there's something so lovely about that, that people, you know, have come to see my random stand-up comedy shows on a bus where I'm talking about like, just like sex and filth. And it was like a dad who brought his like 17-year-old daughter who's just like, oh yeah, like we love seeing you in Nottingham and the Welcome to Night Vale show. And so we came to this and I was like, whoa, this is super different than that. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks for coming. You know, like just the, the love that is created in the world that you all help to foster is really a, a thing of beauty, you know? Yeah. Well, having you there helps too. Yeah. Like a, you're such a, a loving, giving performer and such a great energy to be around. And seriously, like the, for me, like the top monologist of our time, like, yeah, you really like Aww, your show, your you. shows and like, it's you just, they're so smart and funny and so uniquely your voice and so uniquely someone's voice, yeah. which is great. Um, that it's just, it's, yeah. I, thanks for, yeah. Thank you for making our, our community even no. better. And oh my even, God. Thank you for making my work even better because you guys were both there when we were in Portland and I yes. had my friend uh, set me up a spot to do a preview of a show that like, I needed to do that night because over the next 10 days, it actually became the show that it needed to be. And it wouldn't have if I hadn't done that preview for you guys that night, which was fine and fun and good. And I have lovely memories of watching you guys laugh at stuff where I was like, oh, keep that, you know, in my mind. <laughs> but like, that was so, so important, you know, for to have happen. And yet another incredible tour memory. That was a great one. Yeah. Was that the one that ended up being the one with all the dicks all over your face? Yeah, that was the dick pic poster (laughs) show. People still are like, a fun bit of trivia. She made her face entirely of dicks. It's just like, (laughs) I kind of love that because, you know, obviously when people all go like, well, what was that about? I was like, well, I lived in New York for like 13 and a half years. And every time you see a new like poster for something come up, there's a new dick drawn on it. And so I just, one, always wanted (laughs) to have be famous enough to have somebody want to draw dicks on a big poster of me, you know? And two, like something about a dick being on a poster made it official. Like if there's already a a reaction to this action, then that means it's established and real. And I was just like, yep, it's going to be covered in dicks. So many dicks. I traumatized that designer for quite some time. It was beautifully done. Though. It, like, was, it really- was gorgeous. It was a gallery. Qu- like I, if, I, if you like were like wandering around Chelsea and walking into a gallery, you'd be like, "Oh, what a point of view! What a gorgeous, what a gorgeous idea!" Like, yeah, I'm gonna shout really out high, the, uh, the the designer is called Aaron Jacob Jones, and he did an amazing job. Um, you know, and he's like an amazing queer artist. So like, he was even he's like, "Look, I'm bisexual, and I'm sick of looking at dick right now after having done this <laughs> poster." Which I was. Just I remember, you had to one. source all the dick too. You had to like, you were like, people need to send me dick Yes, because yeah. I, I, I had some, but then they weren't enough and you have to get different color tones. And then I was just like, hey, ladies, send me some dicks. And then people were like, here's, here's some. And I was amazed to find out how many other people had held on to some of the unsolicited dicks that they'd gotten just in case you of never course. know. <laughs> You're like, that's a whole person's dick. I got to do something with this. I feel like if you send it to me, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it in a little file. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. 
so that if you ever say anything to me again, I'll just send it right back to yeah, you. Yeah, totally. That's the thing where it's like, you gave me some kind of ammunition and I don't yet have the weapon to use it with, but I will one day <laughs> and it will get used, you know? And it was great because like I asked all of my fe- single and otherwise female friends to send me their dick pics and I get like handfuls here and there. And then I was like, let me ask like one gay friend. And then I got like <laughs> all the rest of them. <laughs> I was like, okay. Go to the source. Yep, it's the yeah the currency, the <laughs> currency in that world. Because um, we only get the percentage that come through after shame hits, whereas the gay men get all the shameless penises as well. Like there's just no because they know that they're looking at another guy's there, and they're like, "Yes, send me that dick." Whereas like they might <laughs> think about it with a woman, and like so we're getting like just a small percentage of the dick pics that get sent. I think gay men are getting hmm. all the rest of them. Well, I'll I'll gladly forego the the unsolicited dick pic. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah, like because you seen one or two, you see them all. Really, You're like, it's, come on, it's rare that somebody's like Ansel Adams out their dick pic and made it a work of art or something new you haven't seen yet. Right put sunglasses on it or anything. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, we've all seen it next to the tall boy beer can. We get it, dude. Like, unoriginal. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. I hope your listeners like dick pics. They probably do. They're fine. Most of them are over the age of 12. It's fine. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so sorry. No, sorry. I put an, we put an explicit uh, rating on all of our episodes because we say F and S a lot. Um, yeah. But uh, then I get I get messages from our fans being like, can you do um, non-explicit versions for us? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can't. This is for, for an older crowd. Yeah, I mean, and because I mean, even if it's not the language, at some point you're going to get into content that like you can't just like make an awooga sound over or something. So, awooga. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's like every morning radio show or something. Like I don't know what you yeah. do, but you know, a toilet flush. I don't know. Or just the sound of like, you know, the all, like the glow cloud or something. Like, it's just like, everyone's like, is the rapture happening? It's like, now, like one of them just went on a tirade and dropped a lot of F-bombs. <laughs> yeah. They're talking about what happened at that bar in Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> so many F-bombs. Anyway, Yikes. for those of you guys listening, tour is wicked fun. I'm sure you guys <laughs> talked about it before, but it's amazing. And yeah, like it's with all the amazing people involved, like it's going to be good. Even when you're like, I think I'm going to have a quiet night in. Suddenly it's like derailed, you know, and you're just like out in the rain with like half your clothes off. Just like, that was great. What did we drink? <laughs> yeah, it was a tour Friday, though. Tour Fridays are particularly, ep- partic- particularly epic. Yeah, yeah, we're just yeah. like, we've been working for six days straight. We don't have to work tomorrow. Yeah, we get to sleep in. So let's own it. Yeah. That was the that next day I had to drive out to Freightliner and get the Sprinter van service, and then I had to take Dylan to the emergency room. Oh, oh yeah, because he had heartburn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Dylan. He was fine. But it's true. He was, he was fine. a trooper. Hey. But it's just the it's the dawning on a young person that your body isn't going to bounce back forever, and he was just like, it's "I think I'm dying," you. and it's like, "No, your body's betraying you because it was really ne- secretly never your friend." because we've been in the south and you've been you're vegan so you've eaten nothing but french fries for the past week and now yes exactly and now you have reflux and it does happen but you're a baby and you don't know that yet sorry you can't be eating this stuff no more 
<laughs> Good times. I miss you guys. I miss you too. I miss you too. We'll see you in January. I cannot wait. Before we let you go, mm-hmm. you're also doing something else, aren't you, besides uh, The Foxes? Yes, I am. So um, I've got this show that's going to be coming out on Netflix, and they won't tell ah! us when, so I wish I could tell you. But it's a show called Flinch, and it's basically like, I mean, the idea behind it sounds like the most horrible thing in the universe, but it's actually quite fun now that we've done the ADR and I've been able to see the shows. I'm like, oh, this actually came out like really fun and funny, even though at the time I was like, we are torturing people for no money. So it's like, (laughs) (laughs) so basically it's just like on the show, we get people to do things to see if they flinch. Right. So like, sometimes it's literally like we tie a bib full of chicken feet around their neck and then we release like a chicken in front of their face or an emu or something. (laughs) And it's pecking at the food in front of their face. And if they flinch, they get an electric shock, which sounds like torture and a little (laughs) bit it is, but it's also hilarious. (laughs) And so like, basically it's me and two other comics here. And we just kind of like take, you know, we get randomly assigned one of these people like that is like our person. And ultimately if like our, people lose and they score the most points against us we have to do one at the end so like you know all of us have had to do a thing where it's like we you know there are things about like you know you have to like smell the most disgusting things and try not to flinch or like you have a brass band behind you like sneaking up on you with symbols and you have to try not to like it's it's really very simple And like, also just like, it's one of those things where you're like, I guess anyone could have done that, but someone did. And the results are quite funny and not as tormenting as I expected, but it, we were in a barn recording it. So it gets crazy. There's lots of animals and weird things involved. And uh, you are the person who did that. So that's great. Yes. Yes. Myself and two other people were the people who were like, hey, come over here, try that thing. And then we just sat there and watched (laughs) them and laughed. Like it's the worst. We just sit there and crack up and fall on the floor. And then one of us has to wind up doing, you know, some crazy thing where they get paintballs shot at them and have to not flinch. And it. I. I'm so stoked to watch that. That's going to be hilarious. I love that. Like it's so it's 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 a new concept, which is great. Love new stuff. But it's like that task-based theater where it's like you can't you like it's actual real things happening in the moment. Like yeah. So it's very evocative content because <laughs> it's real. It's like you don't think you're going to like want to sit there and watch it, but it's the kind of thing that you're going to be like, okay, let's see another one. And some of these people were just amazing. Like the people who were like all super ripped and jacked and like, yeah, I'm a man. And like they get into some of these things and they have like something swinging at their face and they are screaming, (laughs) like scream. And it's the funniest thing in the world. And then like other people are just like, I will not be moved. And you're like, wow, 17 year old girl. Well done. What? So yeah, it's, it's a really fun. Yeah, they are. Yeah, something about seventeen. They just all brass knuckles. Yeah, made of knuckles. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Des. We love you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor and a pleasure, uh, and I can't wait to listen to it. And um, I think I only threw a couple of swears in there, so I'm feeling pretty proud of myself, actually. We don't care. We like the swears. I know. I'm usually one walking censored sign like the whole time. So I really just feel remarkably good about the fact that like, you know, this one's for the kids, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This episode's for the kids. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We really appreciate you hanging out with us. And next week, we're going to be doing one year later. Can you believe it? We've gotten through a whole year of Welcome to Night Vale episodes. OMG. So as always, from myself, Meg Bashmaner, Symphony Sanders, and Hal Loveland, good morning, Night Vale. Good morning. Good Morning Night Vale is a Night Vale Presents production. It is hosted by Symphony Sanders, Hal Lublin, and Meg Bashwinner. It is edited and mixed by Vincent Cascione. It is produced by Meg Bashwinner. Theme music by Disparition. Special thanks to our guest this week, Desiree Birch. Leave us a voicemail at 929-277-2050 or email us at Info at goodmorningnightvale.com to share your theories and ask questions, or to start a fight about whether or not you should brine your turkey. This show is powered by our patrons, specifically Taylor Watson, Ira Allen, Amanda Clace, McAllen Forbes, Jennifer Coons, and Howard Shelfer. If you're interested in supporting this show in exchange for more access to our shenanigans, including Night Vale live show tickets and trips to Arby's with all of us, check us out at patreon.com slash goodmorningnightvale. For more information on this show, go to goodmorningnightvale.com and follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Night vale Chat. Special thanks to Christy Gressman, Jeffrey Craner, Joseph Fink, and Adam Cecil. Today's adverb is thankfully. Thankfully, you have this podcast to listen to so you can avoid making conversation with your family. From the creators of Welcome to Night Vale, Alice Isn't Dead, and within the wires comes a new Audible original, Unlicensed. In the outskirts of Los Angeles, where the cul-de-sacs and strip malls sprawl into the desert, Two unlicensed private investigators scrape by on whatever small cases come their way. But when a teenage girl pleads for them to take the strangest case of their career, this unlikely pair, with no resources and no backup, will follow a trail of seemingly unconnected cases, which will lead them to a ransom, a murder, a mysterious wellness center, and a conspiracy that might go all the way to the governor. It's important to catch small fires early. They don't stay small for long. Unlicensed. Available now at audible.com slash unlicensed.